Hey, Live Church, I am so honored to be with you today. If I've never met you, my name's Jeffrey Turner. I am a pastor in Texas, and uh, I love, and it's great, I actually, I love your church. I love you. Uh, many of you I love because I personally know you. I mean, we love everybody. You know, we're supposed to love everyone, but, but some of you I personally know and love and have walked through so much life with, and, and I love your church. I love, I've been coming there since, I mean, we've been, I've probably been there every other year or every year for almost the last two decades. Um, my wife has come five or six times. Actually, my nine-year-old daughter, when she was six, she came for the first time. And, and I love your church. And it's been really neat for me to see what's happened in your church in this season. It's been cool to see as, as, anything, as much as anything can be cool in the midst of coronavirus. It's been so neat for me to see how the Lord is continuing to move in your church and continuing to do incredible things. Through, you've got amazing pastors. Inda and Angela are, are phenomenal. They're incredible. And, and I have been blessed to get to grow uh, underneath their leadership for the last 20 years and just get to call them my friends. And, and even if Inda is a Tottenham fan, and you know, we'll forgive him for that. I mean, I'm an Everton fan, so you can just pray for me. But I, I love, love, love your church, and I'm so proud of you and I'm so excited to see just how the how the Lord has continued to move in your church in this season. God is doing really amazing things. And as I was praying for y'all this week, before we even jump in to the sermon, as I was praying for y'all and thinking about y'all this week, this this image came into my head of, of the law of sowing and reaping. And there is a truth. I mean, the, the law of sowing and reaping is undefeated. What is sown, we will reap. Sometimes in the short term, sometimes in the long term, sometimes for the bad, but often for the good. And this season has been a season of sowing and sowing and sowing. And my prayer and my belief is that the harvest and the reaping is coming. And so I'm excited to see that. I love your church and I'm honored to be able to share a word the Lord put on my heart with y'all today. So in Texas, we have this tradition that we call camping. I guess tradition is probably the wrong word for it. We have this this thing that we do called camping. And I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Basically what you do is you load all your family up into a car and you pack all this stuff and then you drive somewhere out in the wilderness and then you sleep outside in a tent instead of a comfy bed and without air conditioning or a heater that you could have somewhere else and you make your food over a campfire when, you know, God made stoves. And, and we've done that for some reason. It happens all the time here. And I mean, probably in Ireland, y'all have learned how, how silly that is, but we haven't, so we do it, and I do not, I mean, obviously, I am not a big camping person. I don't love it. It probably all stems from this one experience that me and my family had. We were probably, I was probably eight or nine, and I had a, a little sister, but I've got four siblings, or three siblings now. There's four of us total. It was just me and my sister Sarah and, and my mom and my dad, and we went camping. We were going to camp by this lake, so we get there, and we're in this blue minivan, and the plan was we were going to do lake stuff all day, and then in the, in the evening when we, it was bedtime, we were actually going to sleep in the van. So we did all the lake stuff. It was a blast, and, and then we went to, like, go to bed, and so we piled in the van, all four of us in this minivan. We laid the seats down, and we're all going to sleep, and then sometime in the middle of the night, we heard this ferocious storm hit. Now, I told you I love Enniscorthy. I love Ireland. I love you. And y'all get so much rain, you don't see storms like this. 
I mean, you might every once in a while get hail, and then, you know, every, every once in a while there might be a tornado. But, but I mean, we get storms sometimes, and this was one of those. I mean, it was a massive storm. There is huge golf ball-sized hail. We're asleep in this blue metal minivan, and this golf ball-sized hail is just pelting the van. And we can feel the wind, and it is blowing the van, and it's hitting it. And I mean, shaking the van left and right. And, and then we can hear the rain is just howling. And then, and then my parents turn on the radio. That's what you did to try to hear, like, what's happening with the storm. And so they turn it on, and we're all listening to this, you know, rain pelting us, hail hammering down for, you know, rocks from heaven smashing into the car. The wind is blowing the van. And, and then we hear on the radio, there's a tornado right around the, right around the hill. So we were in a valley, and there was these two hills right all around us. And there was a tornado right over one hill, but it was moving the other direction. That was okay. But my parents kept listening. And there was another tornado. And there was another tornado. And then it gets to the point that, that we are surrounded. We're in this valley surrounded by tornadoes. They are everywhere all around us. And there I am, an eight- or nine-year-old, and I am convinced that I am about to die sleeping or not sleeping, laying in a blue minivan. And it, it scared me so bad. I actually dealt with a pretty strong fear of storms from that moment on until really into adulthood. I was still a clap of thunder or some lightning would really still cause some fear to begin to rise up in me. And the truth is there, there is a healthy fear to storms. Storms are really powerful and they can do a lot of damage. One year, I was bringing a team of people out to Alive, and we were going to do a bunch of work on the church, and so we'd scheduled a trip. We were about to leave. We were like the week of, maybe two weeks before, and, and the, um, y'all started getting a ton of rain, and it was just rain upon rain upon rain, and the slaney started rising, and it started rising, and then it started hitting up against the new bridge, right? The old bridge is way older and, and still works, but the new bridge doesn't always work, and so it's hitting the new bridge. It crests over the new bridge, and it begins to flood into the car park, and then it floods into the church, and into sending us these pictures of, of the damage that's, that's happening because of how much rain that, was, that this storm was dropping on Inniscorthy. And then we were actually supposed to stay at the riverside, and, and it flooded the riverside. So we still ended up coming. We did some different work than we had planned. But, but you saw in that moment just the power that storms can have, the damage that a storm, when it's uncontained, I and mean, you can't contain a storm, the damage and the power that a storm can wield. But what happens in our lives whenever the storms aren't physical storms? Whenever it's not rain or it's not hail or it's not a tornado, it's not flooding, what happens when the storm isn't one of those things but it's our marriage? And every day when we come home from work or, or every day as we're stuck at home in this season, we feel like we're having to walk on eggshells around our spouse because we're not totally sure what we might say that might make them yell at us or be angry at us. What happens when, when the storm is not lightning, but instead it's your finances? And you had a good job that was paying you well, and then everything hit in the coronavirus in the world, and all of a sudden your hours got cut, and you're not totally sure how you're going to pay your bills. Or, or it's not just, it's not tornadoes, but, but it's depression and it's worry. 
that just creep up on you and you don't know what to do about them. And, and it just feels like every time you turn on the news or look at social media or even talk to other people that you begin to feel this anxiousness begin to creep up. Or maybe it's loneliness that you're feeling in this season. Or maybe you've gone through a divorce. Or, or maybe it's just life. See, the truth is, no matter who you are, we all experience storms. Every person that has ever lived and will ever live, we all experience storms. And I could give you a list of storms that I have experienced in my life. I could tell you, and often they come from really good things. Like it's a good thing that something happens in the middle of it and then causes undue stress or anxiety or uncertainty or worry or fear. See, my marriage is awesome. I love my wife. We've been married in June. We will have been married 14 years. We started dating whenever we were in high school. So I was, I was 17 and Sarah was 16 when we started dating. I mean, it has been a long time that we have been together, and yet there have been seasons that my marriage was tumultuous and it was a storm. I, I could tell you about times in my parenting that there was a storm. I mean, I remember bringing home little Berkeley. She's nine now. But I can remember bringing her home from the hospital and us crossing the threshold of our door and Sarah and I looking at each other and going, this human is only kept alive because of decisions that we make. And then we began to feel this anxiety and this worry and all of a sudden parenting felt like a storm. It was a storm whenever I was 12 and I was diagnosed with a blood disease. I've experienced storms in my friendships and I've experienced storms in my job. See, the truth of the matter is we have all experienced storms that aren't rain and aren't hail and aren't physical in any way. And yet, those storms of life are often more overwhelming and far scarier. This season has felt like a storm. This season has felt like it's just full of uncertainty. I remember my, me and my daughters, we'd gone out of town, and we came back, and by the time we got back into Abilene, everything was shut down. And then everything shut down, and everyone's at home, and then all of a sudden it feels like the world all around us is just crumbling. See, the reality of our lives is we are all either having just come out of a storm, we barely kept our head above water, and we're tired, we might be exhausted, just weary from the battle. Or we're in the middle of a storm, and we're not sure we're going to make it through it. We're not sure how we're going to persevere enough to be able to survive the storm. Or there's a storm right around the corner. See, there is an inevitability with storms. And the question for us has to be, not what do I do when the storm hits. Not what do I do, yes, not, yes, it is. What do I do when the storm hits? Not what do I do if the storm hits, because the storm is coming, but what do I do when the storm hits? And not just what do I do when it hits, but, but how do I live an abundant life in the middle of it? See, Jesus said in John 10 that we all, as followers of him, he came to give us life, but not just life, to give us life in abundance. And if that's the case, then even in the middle of the storms of life, we are supposed to have abundant lives. So the question is, what do we do? What do we do when the storms hit? That takes us to our story today. The Lord answers us 
answers that question for us in Mark chapter four. I love, I love the first three gospels. I mean, I love all the Bible, but the first three gospels of the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. And what they do is they each tell the story of Jesus and the disciples and of the early church and of all that happened in that season. They tell those same stories from different vantage points different perspectives. So Matthew writes it in one way and Mark writes it in another way and Luke writes it in another way, which is helpful because we all see things in different ways. I see things differently than Enda. And Enda sees things differently than Angela. And Angela sees things differently than Rebecca and Emma. And we all see things differently. And so what the first three gospels do is they each tell different stories of scripture, different stories of Jesus from different perspectives. And so the one we're gonna look at today is Mark chapter four says this, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So now you have Jesus and his disciples, right? And they're, they're about to cross the Sea of Galilee. And so they get, Jesus is tired. They've been doing ministry all day. They're, they're gonna go across the Sea of Galilee. But when you think Sea of Galilee, don't think like ocean. Think like a huge lake. It is 21-ish kilometers wide, long. And it is about 11 kilometers across. So what we see is they, they get in the boat and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And somewhere along the way, we don't, we don't know how far they were in their journey. Somewhere along the way, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, bam, a storm hits. And then immediately the boat begins to fill up as the waves crashed into the boat. And often that's how it feels like the storms of life hit us. Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, life is good, finances are good, marriage is good, dealing with our kids is good, having everything just going well, and then bam, out of nowhere, everything feels like it's tossed to and fro, and, and we don't know how to necessarily even figure out how to deal with what we're supposed to be doing in that moment. And what happened is, is the disciples were left scrambling. They're, they're trying to figure out what to do with all this water that's coming in the boat. And all this time, you know what Jesus was doing? But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He's not helping them bail out water. He's not even encouraging them being the Jesus cheerleader. What Jesus is doing is Jesus is taking a nap. See, while Jesus was on this earth, he is fully God and he is fully man, which meant that he, as fully man, the part of him that was fully man, which is all of him, which I don't understand either, so we're just gonna have to ask in heaven how it worked that Jesus was fully God and fully man, but the part of him that was man still got tired. And so he had spent all day doing ministry and preaching, healing the sick and doing miracles. I mean, he had done a lot and he's tired. So he's taking a nap and Jesus is one of those people that's the, the really hard sleepers, right? That, that could sleep through anything. Jesus is demonstrating that that is him. So Jesus is taking a nap like 15 feet away from the disciples as they're on the pillow. And I mean, as he's on a pillow and the disciples are, are at this place that they don't know what to do and they're scrambling and there's water coming into the boat and it's beginning to fill it and they're tossing it out and, and then it begins to rise and it hits their feet and then it, then it hits their shins 
And then it gets up to their knees, and now they're at the place that they know there is a chance that this boat is going down. And then, after they get to that place, they're at the place that they know they're about to die. There is not a question in their mind. And here's what's crazy. These weren't people like me on a boat, okay? I not, I'm not an experienced fisherman. I'm not an experienced boatsman. That is not me. I know that's going to surprise you when you look at me. These guys, four of them at least, had grown up fishing the Sea of Galilee. I mean, they knew storms on the Sea of Galilee. And yet something was different about this storm. And this storm all of a sudden caused this fear to begin to rise up in them. And they get, they get overwhelmed and they get more and more overwhelmed and they're scrambling and they don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden they go to Jesus and they wake him up and they're like, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? We are about to die. Do you not care? That is often our approach to Jesus in the storm. Stuff starts to happen in our family, and we try to take care of it. Then it gets a little worse, and we try to take care of it. And then maybe it's a little worse, but we can fight through this. We can figure it out. And then finally, when we feel like all is lost, then we go to him, and we're like, Jesus, do you not care? We do it with our money, we do it with our jobs, we do it with every single aspect of our life. The storm hits, we try to deal with it, we try to figure it out, we try to power through, and then when all is lost, we go, hey Jesus, do you not care? Do you not see me down here? Do you not see my marriage? Do you not see my relationships? Do you not see what's happening in my world? Jesus, do you not care? And that's the question the disciples asked Jesus. Jesus, do you not care? The story continues. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with a great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay, imagine this scene. You're out in the middle of a, a big giant lake. It's dark. It's nighttime. You don't have lights on the boat. All of a sudden, these waves start to hit, and they're beginning to get a little bigger, and then they're a little bigger, and then they're getting significant, and, and now they're starting to come over the boat, and now they're actually starting to fill up the boat, and, and you're really wet, and you're cold, and you're scared, and you're, you're at that place that you're going, I know I'm not going to see anyone else ever again, and I'm about to die right here in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where they are, and then they go to Jesus, and they wake him up, and then all of a sudden, bam, great calm. Instantly. Peace. And then Jesus turns to them. And what we expect out of Jesus in this moment is we expect Jesus to look at them and we expect him to go, oh, come here, guys. Let me hug you. You're safe. You're okay. It's, it's all good. We're, we're okay. Thank you for letting me take a nap, but, but everything is good now. And Jesus looks at them, and you can hear this frustration in his voice. Guys, where is your faith? 
come on, why are you so afraid? Do you not trust that I am who I said I am? That I will do what I said I was going to do? Plus, you didn't even come to me. You didn't even ask me for help until all seemed lost. And then, whenever you thought you were perishing, then you decided you were going to come to me. Of course I care. I cared all along. You never asked for my help. And then the disciples recognize the power of Jesus. And it's maybe my favorite part of this story because it's just so fun to watch their eyes be open. They look at one another and they say, who is this? Okay, they know Jesus. They walked with him. In Mark 2, two chapters before the one that uh, we just read the story from, in Mark 2, Jesus walks up to a man who's paralyzed and laying on a mat. And what would happen is, is they would set this mat out. Somebody would carry the paralyzed man. They would set him on the mat. They would then, uh, he would beg all day long, and then somebody would come and pick him up, take him, and they would leave. That would be his every day. Then one day, Jesus walks up. He's sitting on his mat, probably begging, Jesus heals this man. That's Mark 2. In Mark 3, Jesus is in the synagogue, and there's a man whose hand is crippled like this. It's all scrunched up together, and the disciples all watch. They watch the healing of the man that was paralyzed the day before, They were the chapter before, and they watch as Jesus speaks to this man's hand for it to be restored, and they watch his hand go from crippled to whole in front of them. They had watched Jesus do miracles, and yet something about this miracle made them look at one another and go, who is this guy? Who, who, who is he? That, that even the wind and the seas obey him. And they, disciples who had watched Jesus perform miracles, struggled to comprehend the sheer power and might that Jesus had. Guess what? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he is the same forever. The one who calmed a storm that was so ferocious that the disciples knew they were on the brink of death is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he is the same forever. He has not changed. He will not change. The power that he exhibited over the storm, it still rests in his hands. There is no storm or experience or circumstance or situation you can possibly ever go through that is outside of his control, that is outside of his power. He is God over all of them. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All. We see that over and over again in Colossians 1. All, in him all things were created, for him all things were created, in him all things are held together. He is before everything, he keeps everything together, that is who he is. And here I often sit, and I think if you're honest, here you often sit, and we grab a bucket, and the boat of our life is beginning to fill up, 
and we're just trying to bail ourselves out, just trying to come up with a solution, just trying to figure it out. We're trying to bail out our own life. When the call to action in the story is this, invite Jesus into the storm of your life. Whatever storm you might be experiencing right now or in the future, whatever storm you might have going on, whatever situation or circumstance, whatever is going on, you do not have to go it alone. You do not have to figure out every single solution. You do not have to be the one that shoulders the burden and the weight of coming up with whatever steps you necessarily need to take. Invite the God of the universe, the God who heals, the God who restores, the God who healed the paralyzed man, the God who one time spit in dirt and put it in a guy's eye and he could see. The guy who, the night that he was going to be arrested, took a soldier's ear that was laying on the ground and reattached it. The one who spoke to the tomb and commanded his friend to come out and be alive. The one who prayed over the fish and the bread and all of a sudden there was enough for the thousands. Invite that God, that that amazing provider, sustainer, encourager, the one who offers peace, the one who offers joy, the one who offers life, invite him in and trust that he is big enough and that he is strong enough. When the storms of life happen, not if they happen, when they happen, invite him into the storms because you don't have to go them alone. But often what happens is this. We get focused on the storm. And because we get so focused on the storm, we can't focus on anything else. All we see is all the things that aren't going right. All we see are are all the things that, that we wish were going a little different. All we see is the storm and we can't see anything else. And I'll be pastor honest with you this morning. That's been hard to do in this season been hard for me to not focus just on the storm. I mean, in an instant, everything changed. It felt like it was an instant, and, and all of a sudden, my kids weren't going to school, and I had to figure out both childcare and homeschooling for them. Church went fully online, and we had to figure out what that was going to look like, and my wife's job was different, and my job was a little different, and, and money was different, and time was different, and all of a sudden, everything is different, and, and I could give you a list of things in this season that I would say are storms or, or, or byproducts of storms, and, and I could tell you all the things that maybe aren't going the way that I wish they were, and it's so easy for me, and I think probably for many of us, it's so easy for us to focus so much on the storm that we lose the ability to focus on anything else, and the challenge for us is to stop looking so intently at the storm and instead look at the God over the storm. Look at the God who has exhibited all power. Look at the God who offers us abundant life and invite him into the storm. But here's where our experience with uh, the presence of God differs from the disciples. 
See, for the disciples in that moment on the Sea of Galilee, when, when they were pretty sure they were about to die and the storm was raging, they actually walked 15 feet over to physical Jesus and they, they woke him up. They put their hand on his shoulder. I mean, it'd be weird waking up the incarnate son of God, but they did. They woke him up. They looked into his eyes. They spoke from their mouth into his physical ears and then he spoke to them. He was physically there. And we don't have physical Jesus with us. We can't just walk over to Jesus in the, in the middle of what's going on and go, hey, Jesus, do you not care? I, I really need some help. Here's what's crazy. If we believe the words of Jesus, we're better off than the disciples. Jesus said this in John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage. That means it's better off that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In John 14, Jesus says that the helper is the Holy Spirit, who, whom every believer receives when we begin to follow Jesus. So if we believe the words of Jesus, then we are actually in a better situation, we are in a better circumstance than, we, than the disciples were on that boat on the Sea of Galilee with physical Jesus there. We are better off because we get to carry the Holy Spirit with us every day. He's in us. He works through us. He works around us. He gives us power. He gives us compassion. He gives us joy. He is the one who does all these different things in our life, and he's our helper. What a beautiful word. See, but we often wrestle. We wrestle because we don't have a physical person we can talk to. And then we get into that place that it begins to feel like, well, maybe God is, is a little too distant to worry about my stuff. He, he's got a lot going on. I mean, there's a, I don't know if you know this, but there is a global pandemic happening. He's got a lot that he's having to deal with. I, I don't want to take him, this, this situation with my kid, and I can't get them to obey, and we're just butting heads. I don't want to interrupt him. He's got a lot happening. You know, he's up in the heavens, and, and I'm down here in little Enniscorthy, Ireland, and he's got his stuff, and he's far away, and I'm right here, and we begin to put this distance between us and God. Instead of walking with the Holy Spirit that's supposed to be with us every day, we then feel like, well, he's far away. He's, he's got other stuff. And then we feel like that, no, he's a little too distant right now. He's a little, little further away, and we continue to put these little bits of distance between us and God because the truth is, why would we invite God, a distant God, into the mess of our life? The problem is, if we feel distant from God, most likely we're the ones that moved. If we feel like there is a distance between us and God, it's not that God moved. It's not that he was there with us every day and then all of a sudden he just took a vacation somewhere. If we feel a distance from God, it's not because he moved, it's because we moved. And if I'm honest with you, even as a pastor, and I've been a pastor 14 years, even as a pastor, there are times that it feels like I am distant from God. And when I feel that, I begin to look at my life and go, why? And it's often because I haven't been reading my Bible. You know, the word, the Bible, is actually where he reveals himself. 
It's where God shows us who he is and it's where God shows us his heart for us and it's where he shows his heart for the world and he is revealed in the Bible. Scripture says that it is living and active. That is the Bible. And God shows his nearness to us in Scripture. He also shows his nearness to us through his people. You see, where two or more are gathered, he's there. And you're like, wait, Jeffrey, can't gather right now. Yeah, we can. We might not be able to gather right beside each other. But technology is amazing sometimes. And, And we can call people, we can text people, you can get in on a Zoom thing. You can figure out a way to continue to do life together because God shows that he's near when we do life with other people. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We make each other better, and God shows us he's near when we do life with other people. He also does it in worship. It's hard to stay focused on the storm of life whenever we're worshiping the God over the storm. Whenever we're proclaiming that our God is greater, our God is stronger. It's hard for us to look at the storms and go, well, you're no, you know what? Our God is greater, our God is stronger. And then when we worship, God shows his nearness. So while we might not have a physical Jesus that we can go and wake up and look in his eyes and tell him we need our help, that doesn't mean that he is any less willing and any less desirous to jump into the storm of our life. We still have a helper who wants to step in when the storms are there. And he wants us to help not just weather the storm, not just make it through the storm, but have an abundant life through them. And the challenge in Mark 4 is for us to have the boldness to invite God into the storms of our lives and then trust that he is big enough to handle them. You know what happens when we do that? This is awesome. He meets us. And he shows up and he shows off. He shows that, that even in the midst of chaos going around, guess what? He can be peace. Even in the midst of finances going awry everywhere, he is the one who provides. He is the one who sustains. He is the one who offers joy. He is the one who offers life. He is the one who offers comfort. He is the one who reconciles. He is the God of victory. He shows up. And he shows off. Sometimes when we invite him in, he immediately calms the storm with his power. Steps in. We ask him to come in. God, I need your help with my finances. He steps in. Immediately he provides in ways that we never saw possible. And all of a sudden the storm is over. It's incredible when he does that. But often he walks with us through the storm. It seems to be the way in this past season that I've been seeing him work, at least in my life. Not not just immediately calming the storm, but walking with me through the storm. See, Scripture doesn't say that every time we say, God, I need your help in this specific situation, that immediately the situation's going to be over and fine and all better. If that was the case, then Jesus would be like a genie that we would just make do our bidding, and that is not the case. What he does promise is that no matter what, he will be with us. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. 
Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Another translation says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is King David writing this. He's a warrior. But he paints such a beautiful picture. Even if we were in this valley, we're surrounded on all sides by the shadow of death. Think of how overwhelming that feels. Here I am, surrounded by death. And David says, listen, even if that's the case, I don't have to fear but not because God's going to pick me up out of this valley, transport me over here, and put me down where everything is calm, peaceful, and it's butterflies and rainbows. He says, even though I might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. So the question for us this morning is this. It's simple. Will you invite him into the storm? I mean, imagine a life spent that way, where our day in, day out life was not just a fight trying to make it through today and then, and then make it through tomorrow and then make it to next week and then make it to next month and make it to next paycheck, where every storm that pops up doesn't immediately feel like, like our boat of our life is just teetering about to capsize and we're just not sure how we're going to make it through. Imagine a life spent where there is peace. Because when we invite him in, he promises that in his presence, there's no fear. In his presence, there is power. In his presence, there is peace. So I'm going to give us like a minute to respond. Wherever you're at, bow your heads. Because there's an invitation for us today. And it's an invitation to invite him in. But Revelation 3 says this, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He's not going to shove himself into the mess of your life. He's not going to make you ask him to come and help in the middle of the storm. But he is saying, here I am. I'm standing here. I'm knocking. I want to be here. I want to be in the middle of it. I want to help you not just thrive, but have an abundant life. Here I am, ready to show up and show off. We invite him in. For some of you, that's where you're at. You feel like the storm is there. And I'm just going to give you a simple prayer. Just pray, Lord, I need you. I need you to move. This situation, it feels overwhelming. I'm not sure how to take next steps. I'm not sure what, what tomorrow looks like, and I just need you to move. Would you, would you be there? Jesus, I invite you into the storm. And for others of us, I think we need to repent. I think we need to say sorry. This was me this week. I had to go, God, I continue to try to deal with this storm on my own. 
I mean, I am working on this sermon, getting ready to preach it for you, and I am battling with that idea. I just continue to try to do it, and if I'm honest, I'm tired, and I'm overwhelmed, and I'm tired of dealing with it. So God, would you forgive me for trying to do it on my own? And Lord, would you be there? Will you come into the storm of my life with me? God, I'm so thankful for who you are. I'm so thankful for your presence. God, I'm so thankful that you, you don't want us to get everything in our life figured out and then you will step in. God, that you want us to, to jump right into the mess. You want to jump right into the mess with us. So Lord, I ask that you would give us the boldness this week and in the coming weeks as we face different storms, would you give us the boldness to continually invite you in. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, Alive Church, I, I really, really want to tell you I love you. I am, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful my, my life is infinitely different because of you. I fell in love with missions because of Alive Church. Uh, my daughter fell in love with missions because of a live church. She goes into her school differently because of Super Kids Camp a few years ago. And I have seen my life be so different in my wife's life and my family. All of my siblings have been. Um, all of my wife's family has been. We, we love your church and we believe the Lord is doing incredible things. And so I'm just so honored to be able to share with you this morning. And I can't wait till I get to see you. I know that camp is not happening this year and, and that is a bummer. Um, but coronavirus did not take God by surprise. He didn't all of a sudden find out about this and, and it make him scramble. So I don't know what he's doing, and I would love if he would tell me life would be a little easier if he would, but I do know that he's moving, and I do see the seeds that are being planted, and I believe that the harvest is coming for a live church. So I'm thankful for y'all. I love y'all. I cannot wait to see y'all. Y'all have a great week.